Welcome to the Glittering Bell Jar, a Harry Potter podcast. I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. We're two writers and Harry Potter fans. In this podcast, we explore the Harry Potter series by reading it backwards. As you might recall, Harry and his friends discover the power of the Glittering Bell Jar in the Department of Mysteries as it causes objects to move backward and forward through time. We're doing the same thing each week, working backwards through a few chapters, starting with Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Ready to explore Harry Potter in a new way? Then join us in the Glittering Bell Jar. Welcome to another episode of The Glittering Bell Jar. As a reminder, you just heard it in the intro, but I'm Valerie. And I'm Bree. And we are reading Harry Potter backwards-ish. Uh, <laughs> as a reminder, the way we're doing it is that we read the last sentence of a chapter, and then we read the chapter, and then we go backward to the chapter before that. So we are currently working through Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows, and it is our goal to eventually do all seven books, but we will just have to wait and see is a lot to read these backwards. It is emotionally exhausting yes. to start at the end of a book. We're not like you people who go to the bookstore and pick up the book and read the last page to decide if you like it. That is just too stressful. Honestly, the audacity <laughs> though, it just it's just wrong to me. It's but you know, you do you, but it bothers me. <laughs> yeah, if you're here, this is the podcast for you because we are doing your thing. It is hard for us who normally read the book forwards. 100%. It's a good thing I know what's going to happen. It's the only way. I know, I know. I couldn't do it if I didn't know. So today we are covering chapters 34, 33, and 32 in Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. What we'll do for each chapter is Brie will give us a synopsis, and then I will read the last sentence of the chapter, and then we will discuss before moving backward in time. Yep. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. So chapter 34 is called The Forest Again. Yeah. So in this chapter, Harry has just discovered the truth that all this has happened and he must die. That was Dumbledore's plan all along. He must walk to his death all alone, um, but he ends up finding he doesn't actually have to walk all alone as the uh, resurrection stone is inside the original snitch. Uh, He is then able to walk with his family to Voldemort um, just in time to the forest to offer himself up as a sacrifice. That's a great synopsis. And here is the last sentence of the chapter. He saw the mouth move and a flash of green light and everything was gone. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's a crazy sentence, Uh, especially when you read the first sentence of the chapter next, which was Mm. finally the truth, which, as you might recall from our last episode, the next chapter, if you're reading forwards, is King's Cross, where Harry gets the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth in his own mind. Mm. So in some ways, this last sentence and first sentence do a little bit of symmetry. They work together. They kind of make sense if you read them this way. So maybe you people reading the last page might have something that makes a little sense out of the book if you read it that way. I guess. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't do it. <laughs> me either. You know, when I read that, I, it reminded me of the memories that Harry has of the first time Voldemort, you know, put a curse on him. I don't know if he saw his mouth move, but we do see that flash of green light. So it's one of his first memories and his, you know, potentially his last. Yeah, it's interesting how every time... J.K. Rowling discusses the death of a character by way of the killing curse from their own perspective, because I believe that Frank, the muggle man in the beginning of Goblet of Fire, is killed the same way. They don't actually hear the spell. And just like Sirius is going to say in this chapter, it's quicker and faster than falling asleep. You don't even hear it happening. It Mm. happens before you're even aware of it, which is really interesting. I personally 
like many people, I'm uncomfortable with the concept of death, but also think about it a little bit. And I'm mm. curious if that is kind of how it goes. I won't be able to report back after it <laughs> happens, but trust me, I'll be curious when I get there. Unless you come back as a ghost, then, you know, maybe you can like Ouija board it to us or something. I'm only coming back if I'm allowed to hang out at Hogwarts. So yeah. until we figure out what that is, which by the way, today, for today's episode, I am, I have this great candle I found. This is from a fellow travel writer. She's called the Chaotic Scott. And Ooh. she has these Scotland scented candles and it is winter in the Highlands. So it smells like delicious hot toddy, exactly what you would want to have a drink of at the three broomsticks you know, after you've been a long day of studying or something like that. Amazing. I love that. You always have like fun stuff that you like find. Oh my God. My desk is covered. <laughs> it's covered <laughs> in cool stuff. Things I think are cool. And then I have no room to work because I've got too much stuff on my desk. It's <laughs> a good problem to have. Okay. But back to the chapter. All right. So this is called The Forest again. Uh, interesting. The name of this chapter is very much, I believe, an allusion to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. When they go into the forest the first time, that's what I'm guessing when the forest again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, just okay. an interesting little illusion. And then I actually, while you're while you're making your next comment, I'm going to check something because I meant to do this before we started recording. But I believe the image in my book, which is the original, the, the chapter photo, mm-hmm. I believe is also an allusion to one of the earlier books. And I'm going to kind of okay. like try and research that while we're talking. But let's dive into the chapter and I will come up with that while we're going. So, yep, I I think that this chapter is really dense. It's also really beautiful. So Mm -hmm. if you are a literary-minded person, there are so many sentences in this chapter that are just gorgeous to read. For example, there's a sentence that reads, why had he never appreciated what a miracle he was, brain and nerve and bounding heart? Mm -hmm. Those kinds of really evocative sentences are just like all over in this chapter. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. One of them that I liked was, or it's kind of sad that I liked it, but the boy marked for slaughter. Like that is so intense. It's just so heavy. He's literally realizing that his whole life has been, you know, he feels like he's up for slaughter. Like that was what he was raised for after, you know, he was two. So that, that one was very, very heavy to me. Yeah, I agree. I had that one marked as well because it is such an, such an intense word slaughter. Um, We don't typically think of humans. I mean, we only think of humans being slaughtered in the most egregious human rights violations in the world. We don't really use that word to discuss humans against other humans. And she uses it here, I think, to make it very dramatic for us. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I did want to check. I did just confirm that I was incorrect. I thought for some reason that the illustration at the chapter of the mirror of Erised mm-hmm. was very similar to this one where Harry is looking at his family. He is mm-hmm. in the, in the, both illustrations, he's looking at his family, but in the Sorcerer's Stone, the mirror of Erised, it's not very defined. Whereas in mm-hmm. the beginning of this chapter in my book, it is clearly a picture of Lily, Harry and Lily looking at each other for the first time, which mm-hmm. maybe I'm jumping ahead or jumping around, but that is actually, I have confirmed the first time that Harry ever speaks to his mother. So so sad. The first words he ever hears or remembers hearing from his mother are, you've been so brave. Mm. Every other time that Lily has appeared in the Mirror of Erised, uh, in Priori Incantatum, when she appears with James out of Voldemort's wand, she never speaks. These are the first words he hears. And it's his first chance to speak to her because he was a child. He was a baby, basically, when she died. So this, to to me, I think that's why that that's the image that was chosen for this chapter, because it is finally after... So much of the book is about his father. It's about how similar he is to his father, learning mm-hmm. his father's history, all that. He has these small moments with his mom. 
this one is the most important to me because it's when he finally hears from her and she's so proud of him. Oh, that is so heartbreaking. This chapter is so heavy. This whole episode is going to be heavy. Oh, yeah. I, I do love that, though. I do love I never caught. You know what? I don't pay attention to those illustrations. So, you know, I'm going to have to know. Yeah. Since we started reading backwards, I actually put a sticky note at the front of every chapter and cover it up. So by covering it up, I have to look at it. Okay. Actively look at the picture. Yep. Wow. Oh, it's Hagrid. Oh my god. I'm looking at chapter 36 from our previous episode. Look at Hagrid carrying Harry. Oh, that is so sad. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. That one is. So we are reading, by the way, we are obviously reading the same like version edition, um, which is the the kind of old school one that they used to sell. No guarantees if we ever reference a page number that it is the same page number to you. We apologize for that. Yes. Unfortunately, we just can't control which version you're reading and which version we're reading. But if mm. you have the original Mary Grand Prey versions, the hardbound ones, that's what we're reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can just go to your local used bookstore. Okay. Back to the forest again. So we had... Harry and his mom, which I did go back and confirm this is the first time he ever hears her voice. Okay. There is so much more to this chapter, though, despite the fact that it's basically just Harry going for a walk. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, I found it interesting. He literally feels so alone before he thinks about the snitch. It even says he like he walks all along to his death. Even the portraits were gone. You know, he was all alone walking this. But before he begins his walk, actually, I'm going to give a shout out. So I don't think we've discussed this yet, but Neville was kind of, I think everyone would agree he's an underrated character. And he definitely was for me. It was someone that I just kind of found him maybe a little annoying. Like he, cause he was always compared to Peter Pettigrew. So he wasn't compared in the best lights. And so looking back, I'm like, Neville is cool, man. Like he, he had a glow up, you know, uh, if you've ever seen his uh, boxer ad, you know, he had a glow up. <laughs> <laughs> crossing into the muggle world for a second there. I mean, yeah, obviously we didn't really comment on it in the flaw in the plan where Neville is the one who kills Nagini. Like, oh my God, yes. Neville gets Gryffindor's sword. That's so important. And we just kind of didn't talk about oh, that. But it, How do we miss that? He is pivotal. But okay, at least we're talking about it now because this is the chapter where Harry tells Neville that they need to kill the snake. So at least it kind of makes sense that we're bringing it up now and just not out of the blue. Neville is highly underrated. And that's why I joked in our first episode that we're going to be maybe calling this unofficially the Neville Fan Club podcast because Neville has such an interesting backstory that we're going to get to explore the same way we explore Harry, Hermione, and Ron's stories. He's one of those characters that turns up throughout the entire series. He's basically important in every cha- every book. Like I'm, I'm looking forward to jumping back. Yeah. As we move backwards in this book, he gets more important at times. Yeah. It's just he kind of does get written off and it is not warranted considering he could have been Harry in terms of the prophecy. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, something I noticed about Neville. So Harry is, Harry sees Neville or Neville sees Harry essentially. And, you know, Neville still gives, he still believes in Harry and he says, we're all going to keep fighting. Like, you know that, right? Like Neville always had faith in Harry. I believe like in the beginning when Harry's called a liar, whenever they're like, Oh, he who shall not be named is not back. I don't believe you. I think maybe it's Seamus who says that. And he, you know, Neville's like, no, me and my grandma believe in him, you know? And he, that's when they start Dumbledore's army. And he, he literally takes that last task and we didn't talk about it, but in the previous chapter, 
Voldemort has put a um, where a binding spell, so nobody can talk, nobody can attack him, and Ron is able to break it by talking, and then Neville breaks the crowd like Neville. It's not, you know, it's not Ron, and he didn't have anything to protect him at this point. He has nothing, just his own conviction and knowing that he will not fail. He will not fail. You know, he thinks Harry is dead, and he, he just doesn't care. Like he is. I'm getting chills just thinking about it because it's just like. Who does that? I don't know that I could do that. You've literally got the most evil wizard in the world. Your hero is dead and you decide to break the crowd to try to kill Voldemort yourself. That is in some ways powerful. Neville is a stronger hero and has a better hero journey than Harry because Harry has a lot of parent figures Mm -hmm. over the years. I mean, he doesn't have his parents, but neither does Neville, but he has Dumbledore. He has Sirius. And I get that like everyone's helping Harry because Harry is the guy who has to save them all. Right. But Neville walks basically the same path and ends up just as strong of a character, just as powerful of a wizard in his mm-hmm. own way, which I think we're going to get into one of my favorite parts about Neville in the next chapter we talk about, how he uses herbology, yeah. the lamest magic of all, <laughs> to do some really cool stuff, which is why we know, as we discussed, he's clearly teaching herbology in the epilogue. Right. Obviously. There's no other option. <laughs> okay. So what else do we have? It is beautiful the way that the snitch kind of comes full circle too. It's just so fun. Like all the things that kind of wrap up in this chapter or this book, including the snitch, like it was there whenever he needed it for the the Triwizard Tournament. Like just, I don't know. I just found it so interesting. He had to put his mouth on it again, like almost like a little bit of humor. Like what? <laughs> and then like, I open out the clothes and he's like, oh, okay. And he gets to use the resurrection stone because he's the only one using it for the purest purpose, which is almost everything Harry does, which is so kind of fascinating if you think about it, the way Harry is just always pure of mind. All he ever wants is like normalcy. So he, all he ever wants is his family. So they're, you know, only he could get something like that. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think I know I mentioned in the last episode, I'm keeping an eye on the resurrection stone, that it's not a horcrux anymore. And I won't say how I know that, but I okay. know 100% that it's not. Because I actually caught a detail in one of the chapters we're going to cover later in this episode. This is where the Glittering Bell Jar is the perfect name for this podcast. Because I could just jump all over connecting dots now that I'm doing it in a different way. Yeah. But I'll come back to that. So, Because theoretically, if it were still a Horcrux, Harry couldn't use it, right? It wouldn't work the same way. Right. Because it was cursed. And we know now that it's not because he's able to use it as it was originally intended to bring people back with him to walk to his death. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did love that part. I did love that it was interesting to see who he picked for his family, you know, in his subconscious, obviously, who got to be there, right? Like Dumbledore wasn't there. That wasn't one of his chosen family to walk him to, you know, his death, essentially to his sacrifice that, um, yeah, you know, you had Lily, you had James, you had Sirius, and you had Lupin. And that's it. Yep. Remus. Yeah. Yep. And and in that, you know, it's an interesting idea because we'll get to this when we eventually get to the Deathly Hallows chapter. The original story of the three brothers says that the man who brought back his beloved, mm-hmm. she was a ghost of herself and was not satisfying to, mm-hmm. to have her back in that way. Yeah. But in some ways, Harry, when he brings them back, they, they do exactly what he needs them to, which is just mm-hmm. to give him comfort and know that the other side, the other side of the veil <laughs> yeah. is not as scary of a place. I mean, he's still scared, but he has the comfort of his family that he's chosen from these different parents that he's had with him to walk with him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Couple other things I picked up. 
We have Bellatrix's breast heaving. Again, last episode, mm-hmm. we talked about how there's some sort of more innuendo-laden language about around Bellatrix, especially regarding Voldemort. So she's definitely impassioned by him, if not in love with him. We have the Malfoys, uh, described as Lucius is defeated and terrified, and Narcissa, whose eyes are sunken and full of apprehension, mm-hmm. because as we've previously discussed, they are not on Team Voldemort anymore. They just don't mm-hmm. know what to do about that yet. Very important as Narcissa saves Harry when he doesn't die. Yes. Uh, the cloak is described as impenetrable and perfect. So mm-hmm. we had discussed previously whether the cloak was truly impervious to spells. Right. There it is in the black and white that it's impenetrable. But I, as I said, we will see more about that later. Anything else that you caught? So page 697 but he was home and he talks about how Voldemort, him and Snape, that was, that was all their home. And I found it interesting to see the three of them compared because I never, I never thought of it that way. I never thought of them having that commonality that Hogwarts was really the first place they ever were able to feel at home or call a home, even though, you know, Riddle maybe, I don't know, he, the way he experienced the home was different. Well, it's also interesting to me. And I think that there's something mentioned in, we'll get to it in this this episode where the difference really is that Voldemort and Snape accept their fate as Slytherins, which we haven't really talked about houses very much, but we should probably mention that at yeah. some point. They both accept that they're Slytherins and Harry does not. So the, the Sorting Hat tries to put him in Slytherin, mm-hmm. says you would do well here. And Harry says, please don't put me there, put me in Gryffindor. And Harry almost takes control over his own fate in a way that the other two did not, which maybe is the difference in the path that they each end up on. Yeah. Which, speaking of, I wasn't planning this to be our question for the day, but let's do it. Okay. What house do you think you would be in? Oh, well, I mean, we've all obviously done the official test, so, but uh, I am definitely in Gryffindor. I do think there's a little bit of Ravenclaw in there. I do feel like Luna Lovegood, but I am, yeah, I am a Gryffindor. What about you? So that's interesting you bring up the original quiz or the official quiz because it tells me I'm a Gryffindor and I am not a Gryffindor, people. <laughs> I'm a Slytherin. I am a Slytherin. Yes, it's so weird. It's because I'm, it's because I'm just like courageous in and loyal and the courage questions always went out as Gryffindor anyway. It's like you gotta, gotta be like slimy cunning to end up in Slytherin. You have to answer it a certain way. Uh-huh. Anyway, as you might recall from our first episode, the, that is the answer for our Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz that we will have at the end of the season. So Brie is a Gryffindor, I am a Slytherin. Take <laughs> notes, people, that if you have the most right answers on our quiz, our narcissistic Gilderoy Lockhart style quiz, you will win a prize. Yeah, I mean, we are literally doing something with our voices, right? We obviously think we're special, so. <laughs> I write a lot. I think people think my words are important too. So let's move on. That's why I'm a Slytherin. I'm just willing to own it. Okay. I'm not going to feel bad about being cool. <laughs> Very good. Was there anything else you noticed from this chapter? The only other thing I wanted to point out is that this chapter, especially for me, when I read it, I caught sentences I had never read before. Okay. In particular, right at the end of the chapter, there's a sentence that reads, None of the Death Eaters moved. They were waiting. Everything was waiting. Mm. And I had never read everything was waiting before. But when you just read it on its own like that, that's an incredibly evocative short sense. Everything was waiting. And I just sort of got the sense of the momentousness. I'm not sure that's the right word. Maybe I'm not revealing myself as a true Hermione. Definitely not (laughs) Ravenclaw. But like to say everything, everything in this whole world that we're part of is waiting on, hinging on this one moment where Voldemort is going to raise his wand and strike Harry down. 
yeah. shows the gravity of it. And it just like this, these few words I had never seen before. And I thought that was really interesting that reading it this way, taking notes, thinking about it in a different perspective has opened up the book and things that I had just never even caught. Yeah, it does give you the space to really pay attention to detail. Yeah, and I'm excited because in the next few chapters, Mm -hmm. I have a lot of notes, which means there are a lot of good details. Yeah, it's actually helping me. So I am applying to a couple grad schools or like 10 actually to increase my odds for MFA for creative writing. You have like a one to 5% chance of getting in, but having to write my own short stories, uh, this is actually helping because obviously this book is full of beautiful, beautiful details. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to kind of dig more into by going backwards instead of forwards. So let's go backward. Uh, Let's jump back in time to chapter 33, The Prince's Tale. Such a heavy, heavy chapter. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to be all right. I might cry. Basically, the entire chapter takes us through Snape's memories, beginning with Snape spying on Lily, forming a friendship with her. Uh, you get to see patterns of her always wanting to be Snape's friend. and But then you kind of see Snape fighting against his nature to be dark and her wanting to believe in him from making fun of Petunia, calling everyone but Lily a mudblood, just the beginning and the end of their friendship. And then, you know, you get to see further along his journey, how he tries to make amends. Yeah, this chapter has so much. I remember reading this chapter the first time and just bawling my <laughs> eyes out. Because it was so much information. There's, it's a, it's the whole other story. Yeah. This is, this is a whole seven books. You know, like this could be the story of Snape, this man who is brought up in a house that is not loving, is not caring. His his father is an angry man. His mother is not particularly warm and giving to him. He escapes to go to live at Hogwarts. It's his home. He finds it there. He finds this girl that he's friends with that he then eventually loves, and then through a combination of his upbringing and his nature and the people he chooses to surround himself with, he loses almost everything and then spends the entire rest of his life trying to get it back or at least redeem for his actions. It's just super dense. There's so much (laughs) revealed to make sense of both Snape's story and Harry's story. I mean, we talked at some points in brainstorming this podcast about following Snape more closely too. I think that's going to happen inevitably because he does serve as a foil for Harry. This is the chapter where you get Snape. This is Snape revealed to the audience. Yeah. And then you can't, you can't feel bad. You don't, you don't dislike him anymore. You feel sorry for him. Yeah. You wish he'd had, had made different choices and had different opportunities because it's just like, like with Neville, like with Riddle, it matters so much the, the options that you have and the choice that you make. That said, I will read the last sentence. I will then read the first sentence of the next chapter as a reminder. Okay. Harry rose up out of the pensive, and moments later he lay on the carpeted floor in exactly the same room. Snape might have just closed the door. And then the next sentence is finally the truth. The real truth of all of this, aside from Harry having to sacrifice himself, mm-hmm. is this arc of Snape's life that yeah. Snape told the prophecy to Voldemort. Snape is the reason that Harry lost his parents. Yeah. In fact, Snape is the reason that Harry has his parents, because if Snape had been a different man, yeah. Lily would not have ended up with James. It's all it's all to do with Snape. This is why I love anytime we get into these Slytherin characters, because they don't get a lot of nuance as a yeah. way to create foils for Harry. And then when you get to have that nuance, especially with Snape, it's so validating and emotional. And yeah, it's a lot. It is. It is. I would like to say for the record, though, that I did always like by chat by book five. I was like, oh, no, Snape's a good guy. I knew it. 
There was a huge debate about that. I remember, like, is Snape good or bad? And I was like, it, it doesn't really matter. It matters what he be, how he behaves, and he never behaves with kindness. But he didn't behave that way for different reasons than I thought. I'll concede right. that. <laughs> okay, so for me, um, I pick up a lot on all the tertiary and even further afield characters. So some things that jumped out at me. One, I love that Lily is worried about getting sent to Azkaban for doing magic underage. <laughs> because it reminds me of when Harry was worried about getting sent to Azkaban for blowing up his aunt. Oh, yeah. It's kind of a neat little nod between the two characters that being muggle-born and not knowing the rules, they yeah. don't really understand what the boundaries are. I think that's really cute. Mm-hmm. I'd never caught that before. I thought it was really interesting, the scene with Lily and Petunia on the train platform before Lily goes to school, where Petunia is so mean and bigoted that, yeah. fascinatingly, I always sort of thought that Vernon was the close-minded one in their marriage, in the Dursley's mm-hmm. marriage, but I think Petunia is the leading force yeah. in that. I mean, Vernon is the enforcer, but I think that ideology of magic and anything abnormal being bad comes more from her, from her childhood. And he maybe, when they were dating or whatever, recognized that in himself as well. And that's why they were a good match. But like, she's the me- she's mean to her sister. I mean, mm-hmm. can, I, I can't imagine, I don't, I don't have siblings that I grew up with because there's, there's an age gap. But if I had, this had been the final conversation I had with my sibling before I went to school, I would be pretty heartbroken. Yeah. And she's calling me names and won't speak to me because of nothing I have control over. Yeah. Yeah, but it's interesting because Petunia actually did want to go to Hogwarts. And it's almost like Mm -hmm. she felt betrayed by her sister, the fact that she was leaving her. You know, she does say something about like, please, you're really going to go. You're going to leave me. So, you know, there is that formation of that happening. I don't we don't really see that she was mean to her before. We just see once she finds out she's different and she doesn't have these skills, she becomes jealous. But also she probably, you know, she doesn't want her to be different than her. She wants her sister to be like her. Yeah. It's almost like a classic example of projection mm-hmm. where Petunia feels left out. And so she projects that anger and bitterness onto her sister, even though it's not her sister's fault. Yeah, 100%. I caught that Lucius Malfoy is a prefect, which yes. I think he might be a worse prefect than Percy, to be yeah. honest. I can 100%. just imagine. Can you imagine? Oh, my gosh. Like, who picked him? Like, was he not a bully then? Or just like, I mean, I guess it's Slytherin, so they probably would pick the bully. I guess that would make sense. So what's interesting is we don't know who the head of the house was when they were all at Hogwarts. I mean, mm-hmm. it may have been Slughorn, but I I kind of assume that the head of the house makes the recommendation on yeah. who's going to be prefect. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe it was the headmaster, whoever the headmaster was. And they just didn't. They just saw Lucius as a leader of his classmates because he was like a leader in the Death Eaters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I loved. I'm kind of moving through the chapter in order, but I love the little nod to when Dumbledore is reading Transfiguration today while chatting with Snape. And he says, keep an eye on Quirrell, won't you? Like very (laughs) off the cuff, offhanded, super important because Snape has to keep an eye on Quirrell because he's trying to get the Sorcerer's Stone. (laughs) Right. (laughs) No big deal. So here I have two things that I want to like loop back around that I think I mentioned earlier. One is Dumbledore says that he thinks they sort too Mm, soon. He's mm -hmm. speaking with Snape about Karkaroff. And how Snape is not going to run. He says, I'm not a coward. And Dumbledore is basically like, you should have been in Gryffindor, dude. And how different would his life have been if he had been in Gryffindor? I think that's really interesting. I think the same thing is basically true of sending kids to college at 18. It's like Uh really hard to know what you want to do with your life when you're only 18. And these kids are sorted when they're 11. Their natures are not fully formed. They have so much potential. And they get put in these houses and it has such an impact on who they are. Like if Hermione had been a Ravenclaw, you know, they would have never gotten into any of the trouble and they would have (laughs) never gotten any out of any of the trouble. No. Uh, Just a very interesting little observation, sort of like a, it says Snape looks stricken. And that's how I feel. Like, I think 
Yeah. He he kind of does wish his path had been different, but he didn't have a cho- he didn't feel like he had a choice in it because nobody but Harry, as far as we know, has ever told the hat, I don't want to be in the house you want to put me in. Right. Well, I definitely I'm, you know, in some of the Reddit, the Reddit chains, the forums, but it is interesting how JK Rowling is kind of she doesn't like Slytherin. I mean, there's no doubt about it. You get like one redeeming note at the end of the book where I forget who, but one of the professors or one of the old headmasters like, oh, don't forget about Slytherin's contribution because they left. I guess that's coming up, right? They left and then came back. Or no, we've Mm -hmm. covered that. Yeah. And it's just time travel. People, time time travel. It's tricky (laughs) to keep track of things. Yeah, I found that interesting. She does not like Slytherin. And so I do find it interesting how, like, how do you feel? You consider yourself a Slytherin, even though they are not considered, they're considered the bad guys. Nobody wants to be a Slytherin. So why do they exist? Why do they let these bad people exist, you know, in Hogwarts? Yeah, it's it's actually really interesting because in writing the book, she had to know that there was going to be members of the audience, kids, who saw that house and thought, that's me. Yeah. And as a Slytherin, I have never identified necessarily with the evil parts of the character. And by character, I mean capital C character of the house, yeah. not with a specific character in the book. Everything that she des- describes Slytherin as can be a good or a bad thing. Whereas yeah. most of the other house attributes are sort of universally positive. Mm-hmm. Being cunning, cunning itself sort of has a negative connotation, but it doesn't have to be. True. Hermione's cunning. She's really w- wicked smart. She's street smart. She's she's smart, right? Yeah. I mean, she has moments where she forgets she's a witch, but it happens to the best of us. <laughs> um, ambition. Ambition is often categorized in a bad light, and it's not. It just means that you know you want something and you go after it. Loyalty. She mentions that Hufflepuffs are loyal, but she also says that Slytherins will do anything for their friends, which to me is the same thing, but people don't Mm -hmm. ever interpret them the same way. So I guess I won't say, oh, Slytherins are misunderstood. I think that Slytherin, by nature of it being a book, has to be cast as the opposite. And the opposite of good is not good or evil. But there's traits that describe Slytherin that are more ambivalent. And it really, to me, then says it's the character of the person in the house Mm -hmm. as to how they turn out. One of my favorite fan fictions of all time was written about what had happened if if Harry had ended up in Slytherin. And it's a totally Ooh. different path, of course. Okay, yeah. So it's the same man, it's the same character, the same boy growing up, mm-hmm. who he's surrounded by, the way they think about themselves, that whole thing changes his life trajectory, of course. Yeah. But it did it does matter too what your nature is. I mean, we could say that, you know, Snape could have been a Gryffindor and Neville could have been a Hufflepuff and Hermione could have been a Ravenclaw. It's there's lots of ways that the characters could be other than they are. Yeah. And that's because they actually all have positive things that often just don't look very positive in the book strictly. Right. Okay. Yeah. I like that answer. That's me. That's yeah. me. <laughs> I like to look at what Slytherin has as attributes and see them in myself and see that they're actually strengths rather yeah. than weaknesses. Yeah. No, I like that. I do like that because you do get sorted. You can get sorted into Slytherin. So, you know, they need good news. <laughs> right. And most kids might not realize in the books that they had a choice. They might think it was just their fate. Like Snape seems to just think he's destined to be in Sly- in Slytherin. Right. And so he ends up there, of course, because he doesn't know that he can question that. Mm-hmm. But he does prove himself to be a loyal, loving man who does incredible work as a spy for yeah. decades. You know, like that's not what you'd normally think of as a Slytherin. Of sure. course, the spying thing kind of ties into him being sneaky and Slytherin-y. But True. I don't know. I think that I think that every house has its strengths. And my house is not as misunderstood as people make it out to be. Well, and you chose to be a Slytherin, so. Mm-hmm. I did, because apparently I'm supposed to be a Gryffindor. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> no, I like green. I look better in green. <laughs> 
That's true. I do like green. Yeah. So I feel like we've kind of skipped over the main part of this chapter, which is about Snape's love story. You know, you have Mm -hmm. Snape who has loved Lily from the moment he basically, we can assume he started snooping on her, like kind of looking from the bushes and then they grow up together. And even though he's starting to go dark, you know, he's calling everyone a mudblood. He doesn't want to call her that because he just sees her as this pure, beautiful person. And he wants to protect her. He begs Dumbledore. He is literally after power. He loves power, but love trumps over that. Instead, he comes to Dumbledore and he says, please, it's my fault. But, you know, Voldemort wants to kill them. You have to protect them. And Dumbledore, he's kind of harsh. And I think that he's harsh on him because he's been there. You know, he is the reason that his his sister had died. And, you know, we have just previously learned that because we went backwards, uh, that it's his fault his sister died. And he knows what it feels like to regret something like that. And so he's going to use that against Snape, which is obviously very smart. But it's also like sad. The more you like learn about Dumbledore and how he is very manipulative, he is kind of Slytherin like, right? Like he uses whatever he can to get what he wants, even if it's for the greater good. He still is not afraid to use people and to manipulate them into doing essentially what he deems the right thing. But you know, you Mm -hmm. have you have Snape like, just so heartbroken whenever Lily ends up dying. And he's like, No, I don't I don't care about Harry. And he's like, but he has her eyes. And so you just I don't know. I just think their love story, like Snape and Lily's love story is the number two in the book. Like, love me, like Snape loved Lily. Like he loved her so much. Like his Patronus is literally her Patronus. Like he is willing (laughs) to go against the darkest wizard of all time. And instead of having all the power in the world, he just wants to avenge his love and this mistake and atone for what he has done, which is, Mm -hmm. that's, that's intense. Yeah. I mean, the the example that I picked out that underscores what you're saying is in the chapter where Snape is receiving a report from uh, Phineas Nigellus, the Mm -hmm. portrait of the headmaster that they carry around in the bag throughout the whole book. And the headmaster uses, calls Granger a mudblood. And he says, do not use that word. Like one conversation with Lily as a young man. And Mm -hmm. he he probably puts on his spy attitude and he uses that word when he has to, when he's in that company to to protect his cover. But he, when he's alone, when there's no one to judge him, but him, he doesn't use the word anymore. That's how important Lily was to him. Mm, I'm sorry, Snake. And all he wants at the end of his life is to see Lily. And he looks in Harry's eyes to see her. Oh, I know that killed me. Like, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that coming soon. But yeah, you know, I, I just, I love this chapter because you do get to see the other side of Snape and you get to see this kind of sad, but strong love story, which again, you see love throughout this book series over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. And I did, I did see one more thing. It's page 685 and Dumbledore talks about how he doesn't think that Voldemort will try to go into Harry's mind again because it was too much pain for him. So unless I'm missing something and you can remind me, but Harry sees Voldemort's mind all the time. So does that mean that Harry can handle pain that Voldemort cannot? So my understanding, and this is something that is covered more in the end of Order of the Phoenix, mm-hmm. is that the reason that Voldemort can't handle Harry's mind is the love in his in his heart. Mm-hmm. That's okay. what drives Voldemort out. Okay. It's act it's the it, so he just jumping around in time. Um when 
Voldemort possesses Harry at the end of Order of the Phoenix. The thing that drives Voldemort out is the memory of the loss of Sirius, who's Mm. just died at that point in the Mm. book. That pain, that love and pain is so strong. And Voldemort has no concept of that because he doesn't love anything and he doesn't feel any pain. It is too much for him to handle. Okay. And so Harry can go into Voldemort's mind because Voldemort doesn't have any of those emotions like that. He just Mm -hmm. has anger and Harry can handle that. Whereas Mm -hmm. Voldemort can't come into Harry's mind because of the love and Mm -hmm. sorrow and grief. Okay. Yeah. And there was a quote here, which kind of backs up what you're saying. Like Voldemort's soul, maimed as it is, cannot bear close contact with a soul like Harry's. Like a tongue on on frozen steel, like flesh and flames. And Severus says, souls? We were talking of minds. Then Dumbledore. In the case of Harry and Lord Voldemort, to speak of one is to speak of the other. I also Mm -hmm. found that part interesting. To speak of one is to speak of another. And that's, we don't know what, when you're reading it, chronologically, we don't know what's happening. So you're kind of like, okay, you know what I mean? You don't understand. You haven't quite gotten that they are so very much connected. Mm -hmm. It's kind of our first Easter egg learning um, that they're connected. Yeah. Because at this point, if you're reading it forwards, you Mm -hmm. don't yet know that there's a Horcrux in Harry. Yeah. And that's why he has to sacrifice himself. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I have two two last things really quick, and then we'll jump on to the final chapter because I know we're running long in this episode. (laughs) Thanks for sticking it out. First of all, I mentioned in the previous chapter that we know that the resurrection stone is no longer a horcrux on page mm-hmm. 680 in my book okay. um, Morvolo Gaunt's ring lay on dum- the desk before Dumbledore it was cracked the sword of Gryffindor lay beside it so mm. Dumbledore used the sword of Gryffindor to break the stone literally crack it and that's okay. what makes it not a horcrux anymore just a little piece of evidence I had never caught that before didn't think I didn't even think it mattered I had never really thought like if it's still a horcrux, can it be used as the resurrection stone? The answer is yes. Uh, Or the answer is no, it has to be just a hollow. Anyway, the final thing I have is the first true continuity error that we have in the books. There are not many because JK Rowling was very good at this. In the chapter, there's this mentioning of Lily saying, James saved you when you went sneaking down the tunnel by the Whomping Willow. And That whole idea, okay, I was thinking about that in my mind, and I realized that there's a continuity error, and I confirmed this by checking book one, book three, and book five, that in the memory, it's the end of the OWLs, which happens at the end of fifth year, Mm -hmm. but in the books, she also says that they're 16 years old. Mm. So there's virtually no time, like there's the Harry Potter lexicon breaks it down by time. There's virtually no time that overlaps between those two. Like it would literally have to be there's like a few days that it's possible that that event happened where where they were all 16, but they were still in fifth year. And, and when we know their birthdays, it all gets kind of, but I think it's a continuity error. Like that's the general consensus is that they, if they were in their OWL year, they were still 15. And if they were 16, then they couldn't have been in their OWL year. So it just couldn't happen. But anyway, if you are someone who likes to catch those kinds of things, there you go. Wow. Your friends at Harry Potter trivia. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, our own Hermione Granger. <laughs> I was reading it. I was like, oh, I get to reference other books now. Okay, let's jump into the third and final chapter that we are covering today. Mm-hmm. This is ch- chapter 32, The Elder Wand. So Harry, Braun, and Hermione are in the middle of the battle. Fred has just been killed. They are trying to make their way to Voldemort to kill Nagini. They follow him to the Shrieking Shrack to find him killing Snape because Voldemort believes uh, the Elder Wand belongs to Snape. That is a nice quick summary. And I'm going to read the last paragraph. It's a short paragraph because the last sentence alone doesn't really give you the sense of how this chapter ends. So the green eyes found the black, but after a second, something in the depths of the dark pair seemed to vanish, leaving them fixed, blank, and empty. The hand holding Harry thudded to the floor and Snape moved no more. 
That is, first of all, very interesting because the only other person who's described with black eyes in the series is Hagrid. So though she often uses black eyes to describe Snape as like an indicator of malice or malintent, Mm -hmm. Hagrid has black eyes too. So I don't think we can read anything into that. Also, I don't know anybody who actually has black eyes, but that's an aside. (laughs) (laughs) Interesting. I wonder if there's maybe some giant in Snape's bloodline. Yeah. Or or just um, a way that she's challenging us to think about people based on their physical descriptions because she does describe or everyone describes Snape as bat-like a lot and then he flies away at one point which we haven't gotten to (laughs) just so cool so there's lots of things in which she uses the description of a person to indicate their character but that's one where I was thinking you know you can't really say that just having like dark black eyes makes him evil because Hagrid has the same type of eyes Hmm. yeah I love that Uh, what did you get in this chapter what jumped out at you sure you know the first thing that popped up was Percy Percy lay across Fred's body, shielding it from further harm. So, you know, Fred essentially dies from the blast that comes into the castle. And Percy, a character we weren't sure about, we, we did not know where he was going to land because he was such a, a rule follower, I guess we'll say, in the strictest sense where he disbelieved the law was the law and they were right. You know, he'd kind of gone against his family. And at the very end, you can see he's he's come to to fight with them and he's there for to witness his brother's death and he is just obviously devastated and it's a very heartbreaking uh, moment in the chapter. Yeah, as we've been talking in this particular episode, I was thinking I might do a chart which is like four quadrants mm-hmm. of love and power. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, Percy is very much like Voldemort where he okay. basically does everything for power. He gives up his family, he disowns his family through most of the books and then at the end, he redeems himself, sort of like in a Snape-type move. So I think yeah. if we have a Percy dot in one quadrant, it's got to, like, move at the end of the, like, Percy book one through six, Percy book seven, because he does have such a transformation in coming through the room of requirement to fight in the battle on the correct side when basically his boss and everyone else he knows that he's been socializing with is all fighting on the Death Eater side. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we should do that. That's very, very, very true. It could be really good on Instagram, right? Yeah. <laughs> so one thing I thought was interesting, I think we talked about it in episode one, is how the importance of the importance of places. Mm-hmm. So the interesting thing that Voldemort is hanging out in the Shrieking Shack. Um, we don't ever have an indication that Voldemort has that's an important place to Voldemort, but it's obviously very important to Harry through mm-hmm. his father, yeah, through Remus and Snape, who tries to sneak in and see Remus there and meets Voldemort here to meet his final end. So just an interesting thing that. You know, in this, as we approach the finale moving forward, mm-hmm. that she picks these certain locations that are yeah. important mm-hmm. and not the same as what's in the movie. Actually, if I remember correctly, in the movie, this particular chapter happens in the boathouse, which mm-hmm. is not a thing in the books. Right. Just a slight note to make, something <laughs> to make note of. Yeah. And, you know, in that scene, whenever um, Snape is killed, technically, well, technically, I guess he does, but he has Nagini kill him. Voldemort himself does not kill him. And I know that Nagini is a horcrux, so he technically did. But it is still interesting that he himself was not the one. I don't know. I just, it shows maybe he was a little, I mean, he, I think he literally does say something about it's a shame or, you know, he is sorry to do it. I regret it. Yeah. I regret it. Mm-hmm. I marked that because I thought that that was really interesting when that's what Harry asks him to do. Think about what you've done and mm-hmm. he won't do it. But he says, he Um, says it. I mean, he says it coldly, but he says it. And I think that's a really important sliver that there is still a 
potentially good man in Voldemort, but he's just so far gone. It's yeah. Not, even killing his best lieutenant yeah. before Bellatrix is, is not going to be enough. Right. And I mean, mostly it's because of Snape's power, I would argue. But still, there's still some remorse that he's killing, you know, something that's useful to him. Yeah. One thing I loved in this chapter was some of the imagery, especially mm. around the Hogwarts professors. So there's two great examples. One is Professor McGonagall, hair flowing Braveheart style freely, <laughs> charging past with a bunch of desks, uh, yeah. galloping desks as they are described. Love that. And then similarly, Professor Trelawney standing on the balcony, serving up crystal balls, tennis style and using her <laughs> wand to hit Death Eaters and yes. Fenrir Greyback with that. Those were just, I wish... We had, I don't think you see that in the movies, but I just love those images of those two characters. Yeah, I do too. I love that. And I think you had talked about it, the different weapons used as well. Herbology, you're talking about Neville. Yeah, it's really interesting how actually what we think about this, it, this is a great thing to point out. Thank you for saying that because now I'm kind of thinking about it, right? Neville and Professor Sprout use um, herbology plants like um, and even Peeves is dropping Snargaluff pods yes. on people and Neville comes in with the venomous tentacula. And what it says, these people have strengths, right? So McGonagall is the head of transfiguration. She transfigures the desks. Mm -hmm. Trelawney is the head of divination. She uses the crystal walls as weapons. <laughs> Neville and Professor Sprout are all about herbology. So they uh, naturally, they're going to use the magic that, that is, that's their specialty. Yeah. And that's really, really cool that they yeah. that you see the way that all this magic that maybe seemed academic or impractical is actually actionable in a battle. When, when there's a battle going on, you can use this type of magic. I will point out that we have determined the one thing that is effective on revealing mm. the uh, invisibility cloak. It is Snargaluff pod tubers. <laughs> yes. When Peeves drops some on them and then they stay floating in midair. So spells might not hit the cloak, but it is not impervious to herbology. <laughs> yes, and I did love, I loved when... Peeves comes in and he's just causing chaos, you know, as he does. Uh, that was kind of a fun, a fun moment. And I don't think I've talked about it, but I do. I like how you get those moments in these books. You know, even the last sentence of, you know, essentially the last chapter, you still get that humor. You know what I mean? Where Harry's just like, oh, I just want to go to my bed. You know, or he, he makes a joke about it. I have enough trouble for a lifetime. And there's always these moments of a little bit of light coming through. And even in this battle, you have Peeves just, you know, kind of making you chuckle. Mm -hmm. And also, this chapter has your favorite character having a very important moment. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, you have you have Luna coming back to give Harry another moment, another moment of light. And she is always there to kind of pick him up in these moments where only Luna could help pick him up. Luna arrives when Harry is struggling to cast a Patronus, which he hasn't really struggled with in a while. Mm -mm. And she basically, like, like a teacher, is like, you know, or like they're back in the DA in a, in a safe zone. It's like, that's right, Harry, you can do it. Like <laughs> yeah. you can think of something happy. I mean, they're in the middle of a battle and, and Luna's like, I got this. This is just, I, it just rolls off her back. Like she has no problem keeping her spirit up. And I, yeah. I, again, I look forward to looking back on Luna, especially in this book where we meet her father, we go to her childhood home, mm -hmm. we learn about her mother. All of that is so critical to her. Again, we have a, a child missing a parent. So many of these kids are missing parents, which is yeah, how you know it's, right? it's, a, it's a book. It, 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 but yet she still has this particular outlook on life that allows her in the middle of the most critical battle of her life yeah. to think of something happy and to encourage <laughs> others to do the same. That's a real testament to her character. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And then Hagrid also mm -hmm. has his consistency of character here when the the spiders come charging into the castle. 
Yeah, and he ends up trying to save them. He's like, no, don't hurt them. They don't know any better. <gasps> like, even in, like, the middle of the battle, which just shows his priority, you know, he just wants to protect the what he considers the misunderstood. And that is Hagrid's just way of being. He just always wants to protect what he considers an innocent, even when they're not behaving so innocently. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was really fascinating that in the, in a flip of a moment, he kind of abandons the battle Hagrid abandons the battle and just like runs off to try and save the spiders that are killing people like who does that only Hagrid only Hagrid does that yeah uh the last thing um I noticed was a kind of a throwback where Ron yep when Guardian Leviosa you know at the end he finally does it right (laughs) yep and it's like the throwback to the scene where Hermione struggles with the devil snare at the end of Sorcerer's Stone and they're like are you a witch or aren't you use magic and (laughs) And Ron does the same thing. And so the line is, Hermione says, are you a wizard or what? And it's like a straight throwback. Like, this one's for the audience. We're going to throw it in there. You can't miss it. This is a throwback. Yep, that's the last note I had on this chapter was that that's just a delightful little moment of levity in the middle of a battle and in a chapter that's going to end, as many of these chapters do, with death. Right. And back to Snape's last request, which is just heartbreaking. We talked about it earlier, but really, he literally just asked him to like, let me see, look at me. Ugh, and then he dies. <laughs> and on that cheery note, <laughs> thank you for listening. No, I'm kidding. But thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, of course, starting and reading the book backwards like this is throwing yourself in the middle of the action, basically, mm-hmm. looking at all the ends instead of the beginnings and seeing where they go. And I personally remember that when I would read the series and I would finish book seven, it, I was so heavy hearted that I could not start over right away. Yeah. Because the naivete and innocence of Harry in the first book is so, so much in contrast to this book. So starting at the back and working our way forward and going backwards in time for Harry yeah. is an interesting opportunity to see how the characters were written to make it all make sense to see. I mean, there's so many, I feel like I have a braid of threads. Like it's crazy. I'm braiding a rope of all these different threads that have been resolved or resolving now that we're going to get to trace all the way back. Some of them to book one. I mean, I've referenced Sorcerer's Stone like three times in this episode (laughs) alone, and it's not going to be the last time. It's a really interesting way. So if you're listening and you have not started reading them backward, please join us. I will give you a little teaser that in the next episode, we are going to cover chapters 31 and 30. So you can jump in anywhere. That's the fun part about this. We We don't mean that you have to go through the whole thing. We hope you do. We hope you love it. But you do not need to start at the back of the book and work your way forward. Jump in wherever you find us, go back and read it backwards some other time from the very end, or then read it forwards and then backwards and forwards, just like, you know, a glittering bell jar, right? (laughs) And then send us your thoughts. We want to hear from you. We want to hear if there are things you caught that maybe we didn't or thoughts you had about it and any maybe small mistakes that we made or big ones, I suppose. If you want to send us that feedback, we do have an Instagram, a TikTok, and a Twitter at belljarpod. And we do have an email as well. We do. The email to reach us if you want to reach out privately is podcast at followthebutterflies.com. And you can find all kinds of information about this episode and all of our episodes at followthebutterflies.com slash podcast, which also has a way for you to email us right on that page. And that website is actually Valerie's website. Uh, It's a wonderful website all about Harry Potter. So if you obviously you are a Harry Potter fan, you should definitely also go check that out because there's tons and tons of resources for you uh, and for all the fans out there, especially if you have any last minute Christmas gifts, you might be able to find some good ones on there. Yeah. Or just gifts for any old time. I've got gifts for every house. I've got gifts, gifts for Hogwarts alumni. I've got 
decorating guides for your house. I've got recipes. I have been working on this. This was my pandemic project, people. Okay. I started it in (laughs) April of 2020. I have been working on it ever since. It is full of resources for Harry Potter people just like us. And with that, we'll wrap it up. Don't forget, if you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a five-star rating. And if you have a little extra time, we love reviews. We love reading them. If we get some good ones, we will start calling them out, giving people special thanks or addressing things. If you are like not loving it, please let us know. I mean, we prefer that by email, but if you want to leave it as a review, we will read it. We will take it to heart. We will improve. That is what we are here to do. Show you Harry Potter in a new way and make it interesting, fun, engaging, and high quality, I guess. (laughs) That's how you say it? (laughs) Yes. Also, feel free to subscribe. That way, you know, whenever our next episode comes out. And yeah, you can follow along. Yep, it will be soon. So with that, we'll wrap it up. Thank you so much for joining us and look forward to a new episode of the Glittering Bell Jar dropping into your earbuds or (laughs) headphones or whatever you listen on very soon. See you next time.